Uh, are you there? Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. Have you been on hold all week? <laughs> Never mind that. What is it? Man, you got to go to BraxtonWV.org and check out the free Braxy Trail. We would go out and find all five Flatwoods Monsters giant chairs and take selfies at each location to free Braxy from the men in black. Now, I'm not much of a selfie guy, but I could get into this. I might even put it on my TikTok. You're what? I'm, I'm not asking. Just go to BraxtonWV.org and let's iron out the final details before I book this trip. On it. BraxtonWV.org. When he turned his back from shoulder to shoulder, it looked like as wide as the tailgate of a truck. And this darkness, literal darkness, just came like all over, just just all over me except where I was standing. This thing let out the most blood-curdling, mind-blowing, spine-tingling scream that you've ever heard in your life, and it cut through me like a knife. And I knew that they were going to take me. I just knew it. And then the next thing I can remember is being levitated. Well, when I look in there, uh, I see two big eyes staring back at me. Hello and welcome. You're listening to The Bump Podcast, a place for the believers of the unexplained, monsters, and paranormal. Join us, and we'll go face-to-face with what goes bump in the night. I got a good episode for you today. Uh, I'm bringing on Brian Clary. He works, he's the, the founder, if I'm not mistaken, and lead investigator for Spectral Research and Investigation here in West Virginia. Uh, he's a wealth of knowledge. He's got tons of stuff to talk about. Um, he's going to give us some more insight onto the whole world of paranormal investigations. And I just can't wait to get into it with him. Um, he was supposed to come on with Teresa, but she had something come up. So maybe we can get her to come on the show later. But for right now, um, we're ready to talk to, Brand, uh, to Brian. All right. I'm not going to go too much more in detail about what's gonna, what we're going to talk about. I'll let Brian do all that. So just hold on one second. We'll get him on here. Okay. All right. Hello, my name is Brian Clary. I am the founder of Spectral Research and Investigation in Huntington, West Virginia. Um, we are a fairly new organization, although my co-founder and myself, Teresa Racer, uh, we both have somewhere close to 20 years each in terms of paranormal investigation and research strategies and things like that. We, we created SRI during COVID when all that broke out and we were just sitting around doing nothing at that point. And you were basically told that you couldn't do anything. So you were thinking about all the things you wanted to do. Well, one of the things that I've been wanting to do for many, many years after starting kind of working with uh, paranormal investigations at an early age, I started right around 15 or 16 years old with my dad. 
and we had kind of done a few little things here and there. A uh, couple tours up at the uh, West Virginia Pen, uh, one or two times up at Trans Allegheny Femur Sermon. We kind of got our start doing that. I know I grew up at a time where paranormal investigation was kind of getting hot. At that point, early 2000s, you were starting to see paranormal television kind of break out. You're starting to see the original old, um, oh shoot, I'm trying to think of the name of it. It was Most Haunted. It was on Travel Channel for many years. Then you had Ghost Hunters came out right around 2003, 2004. Ghost Adventures came out right around the same time, if memory serves me. So we were kind of getting our start at that point. And we had kind of run our own little group, Kiowa Paranormal, for a little while. And it was very difficult because what we wanted to do was kind of fold into an existing group or try to get our feet underneath us with another existing group because it's so hard to get to the contacts and stuff like that to go into these different locations. And it was very difficult at that time. There were several major groups here in West Virginia at that time because it was popular at that point. And there were a lot of groups that were available, but when it came to like trying to crack into them, it was kind of difficult to kind of work your way into a rotation or into any kind of relationship with them. So we kind of did our own thing for a while. And then eventually it just got to be a point where we just kind of did our own thing. And then eventually it just time, it, we just kind of backed off. And I remember being out of the loop with it for quite a few years but then at the same time, the thought process was always there that if I got the situation right and if I had the position myself in accordingly, I was going to try to form my own group. And I wanted to form my own group based off of same principles of historical research and scientific background that I had put so much faith in at an early age. And... That's when SRI came about of the equation. It was like, hey, okay, now's the time I'm going to do this. So now the next step was to try to find who I could work with. Well, I came across um, a conversation with Teresa Racer. And she kind of, she had a background with Huntington Paranormal Research and Investigation. And I think their organization, like so many, they got to a point where membership just wasn't as active as they once were. Uh, family issues and things of that nature kind of got in the way and they kind of folded accordingly as well. Teresa was looking at the same time I was to kind of get a group going. We kind of found each other, kind of started working together. And then SRI was born at that point. Uh, when it comes to like the core principles or the core ideas of what I'm trying to do with SRI, it is to foundationally look at the scientific and historical research background of our field because that is the most important thing about our field because we live in such a scrutinized atmosphere that if you are not careful and if you are not taking the proper steps to make sure that you are doing everything within your power to make sure you're giving as much good information and good background to your clients or to the general public it's easy enough to become a laughing stock we know that we see some of these guys on TV that make complete asses of themselves on air. I like acting like they're being attacked and stuff like that all the time. And you know that it's made for television. Mm -hmm. And 
it's very hard to get over that scrutiny of that because these guys are so famous at what they do that you're almost automatically looped in with those same guys. I don't act like I've been attacked and stuff like that. I don't act like I've been possessed. That's just not my thing. That's some folks on TV. That's their side. That's not my. But we like to go about it through the background information of looking through it as a historical research researcher and as a scientific researcher. My background is in historical research. I am currently finishing up my master's in history. I am a trained historian and I am getting ready to start my PhD in the spring. So that is where my kind of strength is. And that's one of the first things that we and Teresa and myself both do is we really put a heavy emphasis and looking at the backgrounds of any location that we go to. We try and find as much evidence, whether it be along with what the client or the homeowner or the business owner or what have you thinks. We try to provide as much good solid evidence as we can based off of that notion. And also when we get in there and we physically start looking at the location, we try to find anything that we can find in terms of what could be a possible um, solution to the problem. Is there high EMF in the home? Is there black mold in the walls? Is there anything like that that could be causing an issue first? If we can isolate those things out and say with 100% certainty or at least close to as we possibly can, and we say that we cannot find anything like that, then there is a very good chance that what we have could be, could be paranormal. So that's kind of how uh, Teresa and I func uh, created SRI. That was kind of our mission statement. And that's kind of where we are objectively kind of looking at now at this point. We've not been doing, we, we've here in the past, I would say four or five months, we've really seen our activity level start building up for the many 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 years or many many months it was it was very hard to get in a lot of these locations because of covid and things like that and there's a lot a lot of owners or homeowners or business owners right now that are willing to let people come into their facility and do a whole lot of investigations now there are a few of the pay-to-play things and stuff like that like trans allegheny and uh the old hospital on College Hill and things of that nature, but there's not a whole lot of people right now really kind of pushing in the paranormal market. I think a lot of that kind of has passed. Now, I think as television is starting to get itself looped back up and you're starting to see some of these guys come back out, I think a lot of that is starting to kind of rise back up. And I've noticed that quite a bit of our activity is starting to raise up. We've had a couple uh, experiences with uh, the old hospital College Hill. We've been to uh, the Heyman House up in Sutton. We have done, and we're getting ready to go back this Saturday coming up to the Deep End Antiques down in Beckley. We've had the bank building in Beckley. We are looking at several other locations here uh, in Huntington, Haunted Majestic and stuff like that. We're also looking at the Price Mansion down in Beckley. We've got a lot of locations and a lot of things that are starting to kind of pick themselves back up. And it's looking to be a very busy uh, end of the year and possible moving forward into January for us. Man, I hope it is. I hope things pick up and take off for you, man. That's what I'm hoping. Yeah. 
And I, I love that you guys take the historical and scientific approach to things because you're think, right. that's what it takes. Yeah, well, I think part of it is that is such an easy step to overlook for a lot of these well-known and very featured groups. That's one thing that's very easy to overlook is I lost sound on you for a second. I think you froze up on me. And the stories don't tend to line up with what we can actually find. And that does not mean by any stretch that that, infer or that uh, event or whatever that these business owners or homeowners or what have you didn't happen. That's not how I approach it. However, I try to find as much information as I can to give the owner of the location or the facility manager or what have you the best possible job that we can do to verify or kind of give alternatives to what they think. Yeah. I mean, some locations are more um, willing to accept that than others. And that's a big thing right now is you have to be kind of mindful and cautious for some of these places because paratourism is coming big. Yes. And paratourism for these folks is everything. And the story is almost everything. And some of these stories, not all of them, but some of these stories are either bending of the truth or in some cases, complete fabrications. Yeah. And you have to be mindful and you have to be cautious because you never know how some of these owners are going to react to it. So that's one of the biggest things is we try to get as much background information as we can and make sure we're doing the best job that we can to make sure that this thing is as I'm trying to think we do as good of a job as we can. We give the information and whatever the owner or the business owner, or what have you takes of it, that is on them. Yeah. That, that, that's all you can do. You know, I, I speaking about, you don't know how business owners are going to react to something or whatever. I have a friend. Uh, who works at a very, very popular eatery, I'll say, in West Virginia. Um, they sent me security camera footage of all kinds of crazy stuff that was going on mm -hmm. back in the back and would not dare come on the show, would not dare let me share the videos because of the owner of the building. Mm -hmm. they have like a zero tolerance. You will not talk about this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And it was some of the, you know, it's TV worthy. You know, I, I absolutely loved what was going on. I mean, I'm sure it was scary for them, but mm -hmm. it's wild, but it's more than a secrecy, man. <laughs> you know there I mean? is um, one of the locations we're getting ready to come up to down in Beckley area. Um, the, property is a multi-facility and one of the properties or one of the businesses on the location has from what i understand completely forbid any employees from talking about some of the events that happen and it's like a zero tolerance uh, from what i understand now i could be 100 wrong this could be all 
uh, stories made up or whatever. But what I've heard from numerous people is that if you mention this kind of stuff to the owners of the facility, they will fire you. Yep. And it's interesting how that goes. It really is. Yeah, it is. It is. So, you know, you said you start, got started with you and your dad, right? Mm-hmm. Um, had, have you guys just grown up with this kind of stuff? Like it's just been a part of your life or was there something that happened that spurred you guys to want to look into it? Well, give me just a moment. I'm turning something off. Um, what I will say is, and I don't, I can't speak for everything that he has involved with it, but what I can tell you from my side is that I always tell this to everyone. I don't consider myself any kind of a, like a psychic or anything like that. I have a very um, mixed reaction when anyone tells me there's a psychic and that is not meant to be disparaging for anybody at all. I just am very much more of the wanting to make sure everything's in a row before I kind of jump to that point. Not to say that I haven't worked with psychics before because I have. Um, but I'm always kind of hesitant to kind of really go with them for deep. But what I will say for myself is I don't know if it is something, but when I grew up, it felt like for whatever reason, and as I look back on it over 35 years now, I don't know if it's for sure, but I think I've got some sort of uh, sensitivity or maybe I'm just more aware of what is going on around me. But I remember growing up, um, maybe when I was about four or five, we lived pretty close to where I live now, there is an old parsonage that's attached to an old church. It was just a little uh, two-floor house that was attached to this old church, and we used to rent it when I was a kid. And I remember even as a little kid um, seeing things that didn't make 100% sense, things like doors shutting uh, with no real, and even as a little kid, you can kind of get an idea of maybe the wind's blowing or something like that. I can maybe see that but there really didn't seem to be any kind of explanation for it well fast forward several years and i remember being in elementary school at one point and my dad actually lived just up the road from where we are now and it was he lived in a rental it was a old school camper trailer that somebody had kind of converted over into like a mobile home And it had been there since, I believe, the mid-60s. So it had been there for quite a while. And he lived there. And at this point, my parents had been divorced, and I was actually living with my grandparents. But I remember I used to go up and spend time with him on the weekends and things like that. And he lived in this trailer for, I want to say, a couple years. And from the earliest point of me going up there, I remember just thinking to myself, there wasn't something, there was something kind of off about it. I remember being able to, and he had it set up to where you had a kitchen, you had a sitting room, you had the hallway that comes down through, and there's kind of like a cut that you could, I guess, call a bedroom. And it was just kind of built in. And then it went on past the bathroom and into his bedroom in the back. And I remember sitting in there and sleeping in there at night and always remember like looking up at different times and like seeing like a figure or a a shadow or something like that going up and down the hallway. Mm. Didn't pay a whole lot of attention of it. I knew there was something going on, but I really didn't. I guess I just at that time, I wasn't really keyed in the way I am now. 
But then I remember one really kind of spooky event that I really kind of held on to for very many, many years is I am sitting in the in the TV room area. And it's one night, it's late at night. I think he has already went to bed because he has to go to work the next morning, whatever. And I, I think it's a weekend for me. So I'm just kind of watching TV, couldn't sleep. And I'm watching TV and he, I remember he used to have these flags that covered the uh, windows. It was one of those campers that had the old, the big windows at the end that mm-hmm. covered the whole thing. And I remember he asked, do you have flags up that he covered the windows with as like blinds? And one night I'm sitting there and I'm watching TV and it's really late. And I remember hearing like a tap, 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 tap on the window. And I'm like, what? Because I thought to myself, well, is that a woodpecker or something like that? But it's night. So, and woodpeckers are not nocturnal animals. So that was kind of that equation. But the other part of it, it was that it was tapping on glass. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is not a wood tap. This is a straight glass tap. And now I, I, at that point, I'm like scared to death because there's no way I'm looking out that window. Right. But I knew, and I knew with 100% certainty, there was something on the other side of that uh, flag that I could not see or I didn't want to see at the time. Uh, shortly after this, I think it's within a month or two of it, I remember I had to go and I was in elementary school at the time. And it was Social Studies Fair Day. Now here I am going for my PhD in history. But I remember it was Social Studies Fair Day. And he and I had spent several days working on a project on a Civil War battle at Chickamauga, Tennessee. So we had done all this stuff and we're getting ready for Social Studies Fair Day. And I remember standing at the back door, brushing my teeth, getting ready for the day, getting my backpack and all that stuff together. And I remember looking out the back window and it had one of those little diamond shaped windows in the back door and the house looked down on the Ohio river bank and the people that owned the property had a lot of junk trucks and junk cars and stuff like that down on the property. And I remember looking down and I remember seeing this guy and he was uh, wearing like a black heavy jacket, heavy canvas black jacket and like, uh, dark brown canvas work pants and he was wearing like a black hat and I was watching him and he was kind of like hobbling around on the the riverbank and I was like what is this dude doing and I watched him kind of jumping in and out behind cars and stuff and I hollered to dad I said hey there is somebody down here on the river and he asked me to describe this guy well I described him and dad I saw this look on his face of like, oh, okay. So later on that day, we talked, what I remember was to the property owners. And the property owners indicated to us that shortly, back in the 60s or early 70s, there was a young man who had gotten drunk on the railroad tracks and passed out really close to the house. Mm fell asleep on the road tracks and train went by and cut his feet off. Dad had mentioned that at one night before, and this was before we found out that story, but he had mentioned that one night he got out of the shower and there's this man standing in the bathroom, looking in the doorway at him when he opened the shower curtain with no feet. Uh, So that's one big kind of event that uh, I think kind of started cueing us this direction. I think it's a mixture of 
personal experiences for over many, many years. I remember shortly after my great-grandmother died back in, I believe it was 98 or 99. I can't remember for certain. But I remember going over and uh, we were trying in the process of trying to figure out what to do with the home, uh, going through the property, cleaning out the estate and so on, trying to figure out what to do with all that. I remember going over because it was going to, it was going to, it was a really, really hot day during the summer. And we were supposed to go over there and open the windows upstairs to let the, the heat out because the electric was off in the house at the time. I remember going up the stairs and just coming up to the top of the stairs and looking and there's this old rocking chair there. And I swore for a few seconds, I stood there and looked and there was my great grandmother sitting in that chair. She never said anything to me. She never really looked at me. She didn't really do anything. It was just like she was there. Saw her for a few seconds and then she just kind of faded away. So I think it's a mixture of a lot of personal experiences, but also I think the timing for us was a big thing because at the same time that a lot of these experiences or shortly after a lot of these experiences, the paranormal television revolution oh, really yeah. began. And a lot of those shows came out from like the 99, 2000 to the 2004 was like the heyday of when everything was coming out and really strengthening up. And I think those two things together kind of led us down that path. Awesome. You know, that the guy with no feet story, for one, that would have scared me to death if I was your dad and saw that in the bathroom. I'm sure it did. But for two, I thought for a second there, you were going to tell me a Bigfoot story. You know, <laughs> something was tapping on the glass and you go down there, you see this guy in a black coat and dark pants hobbling around. I was like, oh, no, he's got he saw Bigfoot on the Ohio River. I can't say I've seen that yet. Now, my dad is a huge Bigfoot person. That is his thing. He loves it. He gets into it. I think he's got more Bigfoot stuff in his house than a lot of people I know. And he, he's gotten into it. He's gotten into all of that stuff. That's never been like my thing. I think it's interesting, but I don't, it, I, the paranormal side for me, the ghost side of it or the spirit side of it has always been kind of my, my niche that I fell into. Yeah, man. Well, um, let me ask you this. You mentioned doing residential. <laughs> do you do like uh, residential investigations for, for people? We have. We don't do a whole lot of them. And I am very... Um, I'm very picky about the locations. Generally, what we do is we do a pre-interview, kind of go through and see what is going on with the location, try to get a feel for who the family is or the owners are of a location before we do it. Now, we kind of jumped at one. There's a group that uh, does paranormal investigations. I won't name them, obviously, but they're on YouTube. But they did a location up in uh, Sistersville, West Virginia. And the owners of the property saw a post that Teresa and I had made on Facebook one day about looking for locations. Well, the owner got a hold of me. The owners kind of indicated some of the things that they thought were going on. Uh, things like possible demonic stuff, possible harmful situations and stuff like that. So we talked to them and we finally agreed. We said we would come up and check it out. And it took us a couple of weeks to kind of get up there. But when we did, a lot of the issues, and I'm not trying to cast dispersions upon the family because that's not what it is. I mean, 
But one of the things that I noticed from a very early point is a lot of the problems, I believe, not, not that's not to say that there isn't any paranormal activity going on there at all. But a lot of the issues I found in that location can be very, um, very much scientifically proven. Mm-hmm. We went through and did an EMF sweep of the house and I saw EMF levels in the house that I have never seen in any location that I have ever been in almost 20 years. And they were high everywhere. It wasn't just that they were high near a router or an electric box or anything like that. They were high throughout the home. I'm talking about levels that are so high that they register on the harmful slash dangerous side for most general electricians in the United States. And we were going through this home and it's like, I thought to myself, it's no wonder you all are having such a rough time in this home because if you are living here, and I remember that the wife very rarely gets to get a chance to get out because they only have one car and the husband goes to work a lot. They're not able to get out of the home very often. It's going to be very, very, very difficult on you long-term if you're getting swamped with EMF like that. Same thing with the daughter. I was checking out and the daughter had indicated some problems and stuff like that as well. And even where the daughter slept at the head of her bed where her head would have laid on the pillow, the EMF levels were so high that if you are I think the sound cut out one more time. Can you hear me? I'm not saying, like I said, that they don't have any paranormal activity up there. I think uh-huh. that, yes. Hey, the audio cut out for a second. It completely froze up on me. Right after you said uh, she laid her head on the pillow, it went, okay. it went quiet. Um, so wherever the little girl laid her head on her pillow, the EMF levels were so high at that point that it's no wonder, especially if you have any kind of uh, EMF sensitivity, and there's some talk that... EMF sensitivity may be a genetic trait. Hmm. If you are sensitive to that at all, it's no wonder that you're feeling like you're being followed, you're being watched, that there's this harmful entity in the home that is out to get you. It would be very easy for you to mistake that that environmental factor. Even like the home, uh, there were power lines that went straight over the home. And even in the yard, when you went out and you took an EMF detector out in the yard and you're like 20 foot, 25 feet up in the air and you're still getting high EMF levels that are in the dangerous low, it's no wonder. So I really am cautious with a lot of residential facilities. Now we do do them on occasion. We've got one, I think, coming up up in the Cabin Creek area, not, not in the distant future. And... But in general, I just kind of take a very, in our days now, with so many things going on of various types, whether they be human-made, paranormal-made, or what have you, there are so many things out there that can be problematic when you walk into someone's home that you have to be very, very cautious. And I've seen a couple residential facilities that you go into and there are very much, uh, there are very 
few paranormal issues, but there are a lot of family trauma type issues, which you have to be very cognizant of. Yeah. Yeah. I talked to a, another investigator just a week or so ago, and he was talking about, they go so far as to try to talk to them about, you know, family mental health issues, um, prescription medications, mm-hmm. stuff like that, just to try to get yeah. a, a big picture of what, what else may be going on, you know? So I, that's why I want to ask about residential because mm-hmm. that's, that could be a slippery slope, you know, and I'm, I'm glad that, uh, that I'm very, I'm very picky about them and it's just, and it's not to say that I won't do them because we will do them, but it is more of a, it's a exception and not necessarily the rule. I think more than anything. Yeah. I've got a couple more questions for you. Go for um, it. You can give me whatever you want. Yeah, man. Uh, okay. <laughs> when you're going into one of these places, you, you mentioned the people had, you know, told you about some kind of evil force or, you know, not to abuse the word, but some kind of demonic thing or something maybe that they've experienced. When you go into a, to anywhere that that's supposed to be high paranormal activity, do you do anything to protect yourself? Like spiritually, is there any kind of protection that you do? Um, any kind of rituals or routines that you guys have in place? I know that in the past, and I don't do this very often because I, I don't, I don't do that with any kind of regularity, but I do have a little bit of Mi'kmaq uh, Native American heritage in my family tree. And I am familiar with uh, different Native American smudging rituals. Yeah. And I have done them on the past. I did them to a family uh, that we had that uh, had some issues. We did that a little bit. I'm familiar with it. I don't do it a ton. Usually the biggest thing that I find or the most important thing that I do to try to protect myself and others is to come about it or to conduct ourselves with a manner of respect in these locations. Mm -hmm. I don't go in there screaming at the ghosts, expecting to get wrong. I don't go in there arguing or trying to really try to push the boundaries. I'm very hesitant to do that because I've seen it go too wrong too often for a lot of investigators. We try, unless it's an absolute last resort, we very, very rarely are provocative. So we try to just be mindful. We try to be respectful of anything that is possibly in the location. We also try to keep an open mind. And if we're being told that by physical or uh, audio or visual means that get out of a location, we generally do so. Good deal. Good deal. And when you're in these locations, um, if especially in a residential setting or, you know, maybe a business setting, and if these people are asking for help to get it, you know, whatever is in there removed, do you guys do any kind of cleansing or anything, or do you identify the problem and then refer them out? So what I would generally do in that kind of a situation is we did a cleansing of a family home. Like I said, we did the family, we did the family home. We tried to help out in that stage, but generally what I would prefer to do, and it can really vary depending on the person or the family, because you have so many different religious factors and spiritual factors that go on to it. 
that a lot of times what I find would be best would be to kind of outsource it out to someone who is better able to address the family's concerns in that respect than I am. And I try to be mindful, I try to be cognizant, and I try to be respectful of a family or a group or a person's uh, religious or spiritual practices. And if we need to, we will gladly get a hold of anyone that can assist the family in whatever form that that family needs for whatever is the situational need. Okay. That works. Yes. That's a good approach. I think, I think, uh, I think that's really the best way to do it because you can go in and play Billy badass or what have you and think, you know, everything, but in reality, I'm not qualified to do a, home for a family that is of a different religious background than myself or what have you. I can try to give advice. I can try to give guidance, but ultimately what I find is would be the best solution would be to kind of guide them to have people that are closer resembling to what they believe, guide them to those folks and try to help out and try to accommodate those needs as best as we can. Yeah. I think that's a smart approach. All right. Million dollar question. You okay. ready for this one? And then, and then I want you to, after this question, I want you to, to take it away with any kind of memorable experiences that you've had. Okay. Uh, they don't have to be super scary. They can just be, you know, something that's memorable. If they are super scary, okay. But listeners of the show, they, they like to hear stories, you know. Can you pause it for just a second? I got to plug my computer up. It just about, it's about to die. Yeah, man. yeah go for it. <laughs> yeah. I just saw it. It just popped up. Sorry about that. I just happened to see it. It just popped up and said 2%. I was like, oh, I better plug it in. Oh, no, you're good, man. I use this thing for all my grad school work, and I don't think to plug it in all the time. All right. Okay. I'm good for it now. All right, brother. All right. Question is. Okay. And I'm not trying to put you on the spot. Just. All right. Uh, what do you think that these entities these ghosts spirits whatever you want to call them what are they and how how are we around them or them around us generally what i tend to believe is the idea that it goes along with einstein's theories of that energy cannot be created nor destroyed it's just there it is recycled it's repurposed it goes into different facets whether it be anything from the cow eats the leaves. The cow is eaten by the humans. The humans die and feed the leaves and goes on and out. It's a, this whole cycle of life or something like that. We are all electrical energy. We all produce electrical energy. You can measure it. You can quantify it. You can look at it from anything and you can see any living form on the planet produces some form of electro, electrical energy. And that electrical energy has to go somewhere. And I think a lot of times what we perceive as spirits is nothing more than a manifestation of an electrical energy source. And I mean, we're surrounded by electricity all the time. We're surrounded by electrical forces, whether it be electromagnetism, radio waves, Bluetooth, et cetera. We're surrounded by it all the time. 
And I think a lot of spirit manifestations are that, they're just that. They are electrical inputs. And under certain conditions, whether it be environmental, like there's big talks about slate and granite Mm -hmm. and water beds and water with a lot of dissolved minerals and stuff like that, have the ability to save that image or that energy over and under the right environmental conditions, play it over and over again. I generally personally believe a lot of our hauntings or a lot of our spiritual things of that nature that we kind of encounter are kind of those recorders or those uh, residual type hauntings that are played over and over and over again. And that's all they are is they're just leftover electricals. Now that doesn't cover everything by all means. We've had several encounters with things that I would quantify or qualify as probably intelligent to some degree. But I think a majority of everything that we talk about or in this field in particular in terms of ghosts and spirits and things like that, they are just electrical energy and they're electrical energy that is just in a state of flux. And that state of flux is constantly moving. And that's why sometimes you see it, sometimes you don't. And that can also explain to some degree why some people are more susceptible to to things than others or to see things more often than others. A lot of people are more susceptible to things like EMF and stuff like that. And we know that. We have been able to say with 100% certainty that some people are more susceptible to EMF than others. And I think a lot of those things are a lot of people that are seeing hauntings or seeing things of that nature. They are more susceptible to it because they're genetically wired that way or they environmentally are wired that way. That way they're seeing a lot of these things over and over and over again. So a lot of it, I would say, is electrical. Uh, There would be probably some input of it or some part of it that's probably audible as well. I mean, radio waves and stuff like that we're surrounded by. And one of the things that I love to do on an investigation is to go through, and this is kind of off topic a little bit, but I like to do it, is to check for remote frequencies. And when I'm talking about that, I'm talking about remote controlled apparatuses within a location because there are some indications that spirits have an ability to adjust the remote or the remote frequencies or the RF frequencies in a location because all it is electromagnetism. And that allows me to say, okay, there's something possibly here, but what is it? Well, one of the things I use fairly commonly is an RF detector and I'll go through a location. It's the same thing you can pick up at Harbor Freight for like 15 or $20 and you go around and look for anywhere where you might get an RF frequency. I love to do that because I have seen in the past places try to swindle you, especially if they are trying to protect their story of a location being haunted. They will, and I've seen this happen, I don't put anybody on blast there, but I have seen it, where people will put like hidden speakers and things like that in the wall to put off sounds and stuff like that to trick you into considering that their place is haunted when it is most certainly not. I've seen it far too often and I'm not the only one within the field that has observed that. So I'm kind of very, that's one of the first things I always do is kind of go through a location and see if those RF frequencies are there. What are they? Are they a hidden router box? Are they internet waves? Are they Bluetooth or what have you? because those things can give you a lot of clues to the environment. And if you can take those things out of the equation and say that those aren't there, then maybe you have something. 
And maybe that is something to further pursue. Wow. You know, I, I shouldn't put it past anybody to try to hoax something like that, but it still shocks me when I hear it, that people do that stuff, man. You got to think right where, when we're talking about now, especially with paratourism, tourism getting so big, there is so much emphasis on the story and protecting the story that a lot of people will take very drastic steps to make sure that that story stays the way it is and people come out of their location satisfied. So they don't, freak out and say no more they make sure that get the people in and out of that location because they have so much money and time invested in it and that's what it is wow wow oh and the the lid off of the the hoaxers on here (laughs) i love it i've seen it happen i've seen it and i've talked to other investigators across in the field around the nation and some folks that i've talked to over around the world that have been into this and have seen this thing happen. And it, I mean, it's like, I mean, if you think about it, a lot of these places that do these uh, pay to play locations where you go in, you rent the building for the night, you go in, you stay in the location, and then you go about your business in the morning. A lot of those places do haunted houses yeah. and around the holidays to make sure they're getting that extra income. Yeah. It's very easy to leave that material or that um, equipment in the building hidden that you already need for that location for that specific job. Man, that's kind of dirty, but yeah, I get it. It's money. I mean, it's business, but that's what it is now. But misleading people, that's, that's wrong, man. All right, guys, this is it. I know I talk about Squatch Survival Gear every episode, okay? Um, me and Chris, we're good buddies. He he runs the place, Squatch Survival Gear. He's an Army veteran. So it's 100% veteran-owned. It's out of Texas. Every component of everything they make is made in America, okay? I want to let you know that. I also want to let you know that this week... They have a special Black Friday promotion for Black Friday and Cyber Monday. If you use their promo code Bigfoot BFCM for Black Friday, Cyber Monday, Bigfoot BFCM, you can save 15% on everything site wide. That's an unreal deal. All right. I use their pack, I use the Rock Ape. Uh, I, I'm a veteran. I had packs given to me while I was in the military, issued to me. I've bought packs. There is nothing that I've ever used that compares to what they have. And maybe you're not an outdoors person, you know, but somebody you know is. So think about Christmas. This is the time to do it. So go to SquatchSurvivalGear.com. Check out what they got. Use promo code BigfootBFCM. And you can thank me later. Okay, talk to me. Tell me, uh, you know, for the audience here, what are some of your most memorable experiences? Okay. Oh, the sound went out again. This happens. Hold on. Totally froze up again. 
of Wonder Wayfield. Hey, can can you hear me? Yeah, I hear you. It keeps jumping and saying something like the internet connection is unstable. I don't know what it is. Yeah. Do you have Frontier Internet? No, I do not. I have Comcast. Okay. I have Frontier, and that happens to me sometimes too. I got it. Keeps coming up and telling me that, so I'm kind of like trying to pull my uh, pull myself back a little bit. All right. But as soon as you started talking, it it cuts you off. So one of our locations that we've hit a couple times in the past few months has been the old hospital College Hill down in Williamson. Uh, Tanya and Charlie had, or Tanya uh, Webb, I think Tanya Webb, or yep, I can't remember. I know her. Yeah. And then uh, Charlie Hatfield, the ones that run it. We've been in there a couple times uh, and we've had some experiences. The first time we went in there, especially, we went in there as a fairly new group with a couple of new members. And then we brought along with us a gentleman that uh, is actually a reporter for Counter Magazine. And it's an online magazine and stuff like that. And he's been to a couple locations doing uh, investigations with us because he's actually writing an article about paranormal uh, paranormal investigations and stuff like that for Counter. And he came with us to the old hospital on College Hill back in July, I believe it was. And we had the location to ourselves that evening. Uh, there were five of us in the location. And from an almost immediately, from walking into the facility, basically around, I think, Tanya and them turned it over to us six or seven o'clock in the evening. We got in there, we started setting up equipment and my, my audio guy and I, James, were kind of going through. We had the girls up on the fourth floor and we had James and I down in the basement kind of going through and setting up some audio equipment. And as James and I were setting up equipment down on that floor and the girls were all the way upstairs and I checked later on to see about sound coming down the elevator shaft and I was not able to get the same sound that we were getting. But when we were standing down there in the basement, we were kind of getting ready to go up the stairs. We hear a very distinct, audible old man. What sounds like an old man kind of yelling. And it was kind of strange because I could almost pinpoint exactly where it was coming from. Because have you been in the location before? I haven't been there. No. Okay. So when you go into the basement, you come down the stairs and it can either go left or right. Now, if you go to the left, when you get to the base of the stairs, that goes back to where like their maintenance area was. And they had like the old switchboards for the hospital and stuff like that back there. And they had like an old work table where the maintenance guys did all their stuff. And I could almost isolate it to a degree where it was coming from was from down that hallway where the maintenance was. And it sounded like an old, gruff old man yelling. I couldn't tell what he was saying, but I turned to my audio man and I said, did you hear that? Because we haven't even got our equipment completely set up yet. That was from the minute we walked in the building and it continued throughout the night. One of the most uh, famous or one of the most, um, famous is probably not the word, one of the most memorable events that we had in that location was we are up on the fourth floor in the pharmacy area we're all laying in the floor it's tired it's we're all tired it's like 3 3 30 in the morning we're all just kind of chilling out at that point and trying to finish up the investigation as best we can we're all laying in the floor i'm down on the floor because there's a bat that keeps flying over ahead and i am scared to death of rabies and I am just laying on the floor. We're just biding our time. And as we're laying up there, 
the way the fourth floor is built, you have one big room, which is the pharmacy. You have a little hallway where the staircase comes up and it goes left to right where the surgical wards were. And when you get in there and you look down either the left or the right side, that's where the old visible surgery sections were. And then there were some patient rooms on the right. And I think the nurses, uh, quarters and stuff like that were up there where they did their lockers and stuff of that nature. But I remember we're laying up there and down those hallways and we're hearing the sounds from all the way down in the pharmacy section, but you're hearing sounds that are like footsteps and chatter and stuff like that, but they're very distant off and you can like pinpoint that they're coming from either the left or the right side of that hallway. We're listening. And as we're laying there, you can see, and we are completely lights out except for one little light that our uh, one of our members had on that she called her safety light because she was scared to death in there because it was so pitch black on that floor. And she just has that one little light on, and it's like a little tiny uh, LED thing. It's not extremely bright or anything, but it's throwing off just enough light so you can kind of see what's going on. And we're laying there in the floor and looking out towards this hallway, And you can like physically see the hallway start to darken. And you can hear those sounds getting closer and closer and closer to the room. And you could see like this black form. You could, there was no like form to it other than the fact it was kind of like a big shadow. And it kept coming closer to the room where we were in, but it would like come to the doorway where the threshold was and it wouldn't come through. But you could physically like, you could see the moon and stuff like that out through one of the windows and you could see that light completely get blanked out and this black light or this black shadow kept coming closer and closer to us but it would never like come into the room Hmm. and we're just kind of laying up there and you can see all this going on and then all of a sudden the sounds start really getting close and there's like this physical you can almost like feel it there's this push of energy and this push of energy, like it felt and the way we kind of talked about it and described it, it felt as like whatever it was like bull rushed up to that doorway. And you could like feel like this push of cold air come into the room. And as with us, that's the reporter. He's like, come on, I want you to scare me. Mm. First big mistake. Yeah. Well, Zach is laying there on the floor and he is laying kind of up in front of me and I myself, my, I'm over against the wall and then my audio man's to my right. And then we have the two girls, Teresa and Bree are to the left. And we're all laying back against the wall and we feel like this like push towards the door. About that time in the dark, and it's pitch black in that doorway, mind you, Zach and I both at the same time react to what looks like it starts out very faint, but it looks like a orange or pinkish light that starts to raise, it starts to like pulse in. And it's right there next to these double doors that are going into the pharmacy, but you can actually physically see like this light start to strengthen. And it actually took the shape of a head. Oh, wow. And he and I both saw it at the same time and there were no features on it. You couldn't see anything, but it looked like somebody peeked around the door and looked at us. Mm. And I remember Zach, like 
he's not been doing this very often. He's not, he, he's kind of new to this field. He like crab walks over myself and James, our audio man back against the wall to get close to us because this thing just showed itself to him and it showed me and it kind of startled me. I was like, I wasn't expecting that. So that is one really um, memorable thing that we had happen at location. And it's something that was almost revolutionary in the fact that I had never seen anything like that show up and it was there and it seemed like it got its reaction that it wanted like okay i scared you i'm gone and it just faded out to nothing then just shortly after that we're all kind of like coming down off this moment because everyone at that point we're all tired it's all middle part of the morning we're all tired we're all like shaken up by what we had just seen yeah we go downstairs to the second floor where the safe house area is and we're getting our equipment set up and we're getting ready to go back out and hit another one of the floors. And as I'm going out of the safe house area, I turn to go up the stairs to the third floor. As I turn, I hear a very distinct woman humming and it is like right next to my ear. Mm. And I'm like, I turn around and I look for Teresa and Bree to make sure they're not humming. And they're in the safe house area still with the door shut. And I ask them, I was like, did either one of you all hum? And they said, no, that humming moved up the stairs and I could hear it in the distance. And it was like, we followed it up to the stairs, but we could never pinpoint it. But she or whatever it was, was like right in my ear humming mm-hmm. it was mm-hmm. it was like sing-songy i'm like man this is i mean that was pretty intense because i was like that was that's not like a distant sound when it is right here you can tell yeah. and that's exactly what it was wow yeah the old hospital on college hill uh the first time we went especially we got a lot of interesting experiences and stuff like that out of it Second time we went, it wasn't quite as active, but we did have several experiences there as well, at that time as well. Um, things like you could see this black shadow coming down the stairs and it seemed to like get annoyed with the fact that we were standing on the stairs trying to catch it. And it like seemed to push through us. And you could feel that discharge of electrical energy as it pushed through us and like the cold and in like just this cold breeze following it and stuff like that. That was pretty interesting. Now, another um, interesting event on the very much on the flip side of what I just told you are something that was completely unexpected was down at um, Deep End Antiques in uh, Beckley. Uh, we had met the owner. Uh, his name is Travis Ardnick, and he owns this little antique store that is on the property of the old Honey in the Rock Hotel. And it's like a multi-unit place and stuff like that. And he has the uh, antique store and in one or two of the old hotel rooms are now being used for storage. So he has those. We met him at Beckley at the Beck's uh, Oddities and Curiosities thing. So, and he asked, he, he told us, he said, look, if you all want to come investigate, you all are welcome to. He's apparently had other folks in there to investigate before. So we said, okay, cool, we'll get a hold of you. Well, 
on the Monday following that fair, we contacted him. Teresa and I talked to him at length on the computer, just trying to get an idea of the location, the history, and kind of doing our pre-interview and preliminaries and all that stuff. We got it set up, and we went down there the following Saturday. When we got down there, and it's one of those things with uh, like these type of newer facilities, because this is built, this facility itself is built on top of where the old pool was for the hotel. Okay. And it's all been concreted in and all that stuff. And it's like this newer, like varnish metal type building. So immediately when you get there, it's like, is this really haunted? Is this something that is possibly paranormal or is this all made up? But we kind of, we just came into an open mind. We went into a location and Travis was talking to us about some of the knives and stuff like that. He has a location, some of which have been used in pretty, uh, pretty interesting circumstances. One of them belonged to a Vietnam vet and he had notches in it where he had chopped off ears and stuff like that over in Vietnam. Wow. One of them was used, believed to be used in a murder when a woman stabbed her husband. And they could never find the weapon. Well, when they took down the house, they actually found the weapon up in the rafters of the house. So he has a lot of things like that. There was a, a revolver, I believe, there that was used in a suicide. There's a lot of like interesting antiques and stuff like that. Yeah. And there lies part of the problem is that are we investigating the location itself or the things within the location? Yeah, those items. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the things. So we have to look at it from a couple different perspectives. So we get there, we kind of go through the location for a little bit. And then Teresa, James and I, before everybody else got there, we decided we're going to go ahead and go to dinner and kind of talk out a strategy. We go talk out strategy and Teresa and I, we had done our historical background of the building. We had found some stories that seemed to line up with what we had been told. We had found historical backgrounds information that followed some of them, but we couldn't find some for others. But try to keep an open mind. We decided we were, t- we were talking, trying to figure out. We Both of us, Teresa and I in particular, were like, we really don't know what to expect here. But we said, we'll give it a shot. Maybe we'll be surprised. We go back to the location. We get our stuff set up. We have a couple members arrive. We actually have a lady from another paranormal group that actually stops in to see us. And then we convince her to stay. So she joins in with us for a couple hours. And we start investigating the location. The location has reports of apparitions being seen in mirrors, uh, footsteps, that watery footprints that will show up. The floor is concrete where the pool was. And right along where the pool like side was at that time, the owner had indicated that when he had opened the facility, there were watery footprints that would keep showing up with no real reason for it. Well, then he also talked about um, there was stories of a prostitute that was murdered in one of the rooms that he uses as storage. And we found some things that kind of lean along with that, but there was nothing with 100% definitive that said that. So we kind of have to take it out with a grain of salt. But we start looking at a location. And it's very evident from the onset that this is a little bit different. Audio cut out.
wait till it comes back. Okay, there it is. There it is. You said that, that, that this is going to be a little bit different, and that's the last thing I heard. Okay, well, that's good because I know exactly where to leave off. All right, so we knew from the onset that we, we it was going to be a little bit different. So we start kind of going through the facility. We do a kind of an overall sweep of the building. Then we decide to go outside to check out one of the uh, rooms that he uses for storage, the one that was reportedly where the prostitute was murdered. We go back there. And it's a very small old hotel room, bathroom right to the left. As you come in, there's a little threshold. And then you could basically see it. If you've been in any 1960s, 1970s Super 8, you know the hotel. Yeah. Well, we are looking around in there, and he's just got all this equipment and stuff and all these uh, objects that he hasn't put on the floor yet in there. And start doing a sweep of the room. We sit down in the floor. We kind of start doing an EVP session. Nothing definitively starts happening. You, you got that eerie feeling and stuff like that, but nothing was 100% certain. But then Travis comes out to us, and he starts talking to us about the room. He starts seeing how we're doing. He was actually going to order us pizza. So he comes out there. He asks what we want and stuff like that, and we're cool. And he, he asks, have you all had any activity out here yet? We tell him, no, not really. He said, well, I'll tell you something to do. He hmm. says, when I leave this room, put the chain lock on. He said, the reason why he does, or he told us that is because he in the past with his buddy, they have been in there and they took like a leaf blower and to the outside of the door to see if that chain would move. But that reportedly is that chain would start swinging when you're in there. And the room is fairly well uh, tightened up. Even as being an old hotel room, it's still fairly well tightened up. It's very stagnant in there. Yeah. And he said they took a leaf blower outside the door to just kind of blow it to see if it would actually push that chain. Well, nothing would happen. So he tells us, put the chain on the door. Well, we're hearing some sounds and what sounds like a lady or something like that outside. So I'm like, okay, there's probably somebody walking along because it's on a major highway at that point go out. I'm standing on the outside of the door listening for this sound. There's a lot of cars and stuff, so I just kind of put that out of the back of my head. Then I turn around to come in the room. As I come in the room, we have our Ovilus and uh, Echovox going on one of our uh, pieces of equipment. And on the Ovilus, it says, don't come in. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I come and I put that chain on the door like he told us to do. And put that chain on the door and immediately it seems like the environment in that room changes. He tells us that the lady that has been reported to be in there is very, very aggressive. And when we put that chain on, like I said, I do not purport myself to be a psychic or anything like that. But when I go into the room, it's like visually, for whatever reason, I can see it inside of my head. It's not like I see it physically. This lady like sitting there and she's kind of like, it froze up on me again. Seriously? Yes. You know, 
and I hate to say this, but every time I talk paranormal, this happens to me. Does it? I can talk about anything. I can talk about aliens, Bigfoot, anything. It don't happen. It just don't happen. <laughs> but when it gets where did it leave off? Do you remember? You said that, like visually in your mind, the room changed. Okay, so the way I perceived the room seemed to change mentally, and that I saw the room kind of like through my mind's eye or what have you kind of transitioned back to the state that it was back when the hotel was functional. You had the two, the big bed in the middle. You had the two little nightstands on either side. You had the straight up back and down chair that you see in every old hotel. And for whatever reason, I see like this lady sitting in this chair and it seems like she's sitting there kind of like with her knees up and stuff like that with her arms on her knees and she's like, don't do this, don't do this, or whatever. Like, it's like this, this, this moment or whatever that I'm seeing for whatever reason. Like I said, I can't 100% say that this was paranormal or not, but mm. it was weird for the scenario. But I can see her saying, don't do this, don't do this. And she's like rocking back and forth. And it's like she showed me this for any moment. Well, that was just the start of this night and that honestly for the biggest point like shook me up because i remember i was like sitting i'm unstable i that's why i didn't say anything okay you said i you said uh you were sitting and it cut off again. So I was sitting on one of the curbs outside of the building and just trying to get wrapped my mind around what had just happened. And it shook me up. I was like, what just happened? Cause it felt like for whatever reason, I wasn't in control. And I was like, wait a minute, this is different. Tried to come down from that, but that was only the start for the evening. Um, we had a lot of experiences on that location, but probably one of the weirder ones is one that Teresa and I talked about at length with several podcasts is Travis's little friend that lives in the location. So let me give you a little bit of background about Travis from what I understand from the stories he told me. So Travis is a younger gentleman who owns this antique store. His name's Travis Arden. And his family history dates back to places like Croatia and Slovenia and Slovakia over there in the Slavic regions of like the Balkans. And from what he told us, his family was actually brought over in the early days of the late 1800s, early 1900s as kind of, or maybe earlier than that. I can't remember for sure what he said, but they were kind of like indentured servants that came over here to work with the coal mines. And he was telling us about this legend in his family about a creature that he has called the Ovenik. The Ovenik by Slavic legends is a little cat demon thing. And demon is a term that I don't use lightly, but it's kind of like this little cat thing. And the story is that these things are passed along to family lineage and that they are kind of like a barn guardian. And they can either be malevolent or benevolent, depending on how you treat them. And 
he indicated that if you treat them properly, and the research that I did indicates that if you treat them properly and you provide them gifts and stuff like that, they are kind of like a good luck charm. They're protective. But if you don't feed them and you don't take protect them or take care of them, they can actually, they will either do one of two things. They'll either eat your grain in your granary or they'll burn your barn down. Mm. So you have to be really cognitive about how you deal with them. But he was telling us about this thing and he had never mentioned this during the preliminaries. So we go in the location and we, we had just done the thing out in the uh, little room with seeing the lady. Come back in, still trying to wrap my head around that. And we're going through the internal part of the antique store. And the antique store is split into two major rooms and in a third like auxiliary room that he keeps his tarantulas in and he keeps his uh, office in. Yeah. he's a very interesting guy, but he's, he's a, he's a really nice guy. But when we get in there, we start doing the sweep of the building, checking out like for EMF, start checking out for RF and stuff like that. And then we go back to the back room where he keeps a lot of the larger antiques. He's got a lot of big Chinette cabinets. He's got a big Victorian couch back there. He's got some clothes on clothes racks and things like that. Some 45 records over in the corner all this stuff back there. And one of the reports that he talked about in the location was that when all else fails, if you're struggling to find anything in the location to check the mirrors, it's like, okay, idea that they're coming out in the mirrors, even though you may not see them physically. So he says, you want to see something? And I was like, what? And he says, I've got a little buddy back here. I'm like, what? what are you talking about? And he says that he has this little creature that lives up in the attic. And he has these two accesses to the attic above that you can see with the doors and stuff like that. And he says this little creature will come down sometimes during the day or during the night and check things out in the facility. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this guy is crazy. Well, he says, I'll tell you what, if you want to see this thing, he says, come here. Abel, can you stop scratching like that? <laughs> That's my dog scratching, sorry. It's okay. My, my cat yeah, was just he, doing the same thing at the front door. He is about to knock a hole in the floor. All right. So <laughs> he's telling us about this thing. And he said, if you want to see it, I'll show, I'll show you how to see it. And he tell, takes me. And he's got several old like bar style mirrors. And one of them is a big Victor Victrola mirror. He puts me in front of this mirror. He grabs me and he takes me and he puts me in front of this mirror and stands me there. He said, just wait here. At the same time, I have two of my members that are back in the same room kind of working. They're going through and they're checking for cold spots. We've got a Kestrel and stuff like that, checking for cold spots. We're going through and checking EMF and stuff like that. And I'm having them show uh, set up some uh, motion detectors. He's got me standing in front of this mirror and I'm standing there like, yeah, okay, whatever. I'm looking to the left-hand side of this mirror. And then all of a sudden, I can see my two guys in the mirror and to my back, to my right. And he's, uh, they're both just back there doing their thing. And I'm looking to the left-hand side of this mirror and I look, just slightly to the right. And I can start seeing this little bit of movement on the right-hand side. And I'm like, what is that? I turn my attention to the right-hand side of the mirror. And I swear to you, 
I, there's no way that I could have like had any idea about what I was about to see. There was this little creature mm-hmm. standing on top of this coat rack and it's standing right above my audio man, James's shoulder mm-hmm. up on this coat rack. It must be maybe 18 inches tall. It's solid black. It has green eyes and little white teeth. It looks like a black cat, but it also kind of looks like a monkey. It's kind of like a cross between the two. And I'm like, what the hell is that? Give me I, turn, I turn around to look at this thing. And as soon as it sees me lock eyes with it, it jumps down. And I can see it run. And it runs across the room. And underneath one of these chinette cabinets where it's dark. And I see where it runs to. So I go to see if I can see it. Because I thought for certain that Travis had a black cat in there. Go down to that dark and that cat is not there. Mm. And I'm like, what did I just see? Throughout the night, we had numerous experiences with this thing. I know at another time during the night, Teresa, as she would be here, she'd be telling the same story, but I'll tell it the best I can remember. She said it. Shortly after that, she and some of the girls came in from the uh, room outside. They came back into the facility. And uh, James, I believe it was, or Brian, pulled her to the side and told her about this opening. And she's like, I want to see it. So they, he goes, or she goes to the back. And sits down on a couch and she reports that at one point she felt like uh, like a cat or something like that jumped up on the couch behind her, but there was nothing there. And she said she was kind of getting disappointed at the fact that she hadn't seen it. Well, Travis comes back to her and he asks her if she had seen it yet. She said, no, I'm kind of just disappointed about it. He's like, well, if you want to see it, I'll show it to you. He takes her and they go back to where his office is. And the way she reports it is that he said, do you see it? And she's like, where? And he said, look over there. And there's this, I guess, a Rubbermaid tote with some stuff in it. And Teresa says that she, and she said she wrestled with it for after this for weeks after the fact of this happening. But she said, in that Rubbermaid tote, there is this little cat demon thing looking up out of the tote at her. And to show her, she he's like, do you, do you see it? And she's like, I don't know. Is that what I'm seeing or not? She said, at that, about that time, it just kind of vanished. Oh and God. Travis goes over and like starts rummaging through the box to show her that there's no cat or anything like that in that box. And there's nothing there. So she got oh. to see it later on during the night. So apparently Travis said that I freaked the thing out. I apparently scared it or whatever. But he's like telling us, like, or telling me in particular, he's like, dude, you need to go calm down. He said, you scared it. I was <laughs> like, dude, how am I supposed to calm down after seeing that? Well, I'd say, okay, I will do that. So we went out and we went back to the main room and we started kind of doing some sweeps in there and just kind of doing an EMF session or whatever in there. And he said, all right. He comes back about 15 or 20 minutes later and he says, you want to try that again? but this time I need you to be calm. I was like, okay, Travis, I'll try my best. He takes us back there again. And it is myself and Brian Martin, one of my guys are back there. We're just kind of going through that back room. And 
I turn my attention to over on a big glass case over on the right-hand wall, we have a static cam set up. Check the static cam, and sure enough, and this was the common theme of the night, is our batteries kept getting drained, 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 drained. And no matter what I did, uh, we had to just keep putting them in, putting them in, putting them in. Well, we go back there, and Brian Martin and I are just kind of checking out this back room. Brian is on the other end of the room towards the office, and I'm on the other end towards this glass case. And Brian is looking into the office. And I remember I'm looking at this glass case and working on this camera. I turn myself around to look at Brian to say something to him. And here's this little thing again. It is standing up on its back legs like a meerkat, looking up at Brian, like checking him out. Like it's just like curious about who he was and what he's doing there. And as soon, once again, as I put my eyes on it and it registered me looking at it, it ran off. We had numerous times throughout the night, even when we like turned the lights or we started to turn the lights back on about six in the morning. We go in there and I turn the lights on. And as soon as I turn the lights on, I swear to you, up in the attic, I hear like these little fast footsteps. Like this thing is trying to avoid us actually seeing it when the lights were turned on. It was the darndest thing I've ever seen. I, I, there's no way that you could have convinced me at the beginning that he did not have some kind of animal in there. Now, he did have a puppy in there, but it was only in there for a little while, and it's a white lab, and it'd be pretty difficult to uh, confuse that with a little cat demon. Yeah. <laughs> but it had numerous times throughout the night, wow. and then he even took the puppy out of the building, and it still was showing up. He said apparently the thing loves his pup, and will go out there and hang out with it. And at one point during the night, I remember we were doing a uh, EVP session and we were using the Ovilus and numerous times it sounded like whatever we were getting in terms of responses was like, it even mentioned, and this is the crazy part to me, <laughs> those Ovaluses operate on that standard 800 or 1000 word dictionary. Yeah. And the idea for anybody that doesn't isn't aware of what a novelist does or whatever is that it takes electromagnetic fields and converts it over to audible words. At one point, that novelist said Ovenic. Hmm. And I'm like, now why would that novelist have that specific word in that thing at that time? It made absolutely no sense. But it mentioned that like, numerous times that these things seem to be like intimidated by this little cat demon thing. Mm. And then it started mentioning the word salt over and over and over again. Salt, 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 salt. Like it was wanting us to give the Ovenic salt as like a offering. We took, and one of our members took some salt and put it over in the corner. And sure enough, and it was weird as all get out, but like when that salt was put out, Teresa and I and all of us were in the back and you hear like this little squeak of like this thing is happy that we gave it salt. Oh my gosh. I've never seen anything or experienced anything like this in my almost 20 years of doing it. It was crazy to like, just from the moment we walked into the place, it was readily apparent that this was going to be different and it sure as heck didn't disappoint. 
that was a really big, really um, memorable event that we've had. We've had several, but that one kind of, for me at least, takes the cake in terms of just the all-around weirdness. Wow. Brian, you have blown my mind, man. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to... When we get off here, I'm going to be Googling this thing probably until I go to bed. Yeah, it, it's easy enough to find, but it is a legend that comes out. When he when we're supposed to go back on Saturday, he told us to let him know, and then he is supposed to make, apparently, the offerings that you can give the thing. Back in Slovenia or Croatia or wherever, the ideas were the major offerings that this thing would be given were rooster. Hold on. It, oh, I can't hear you. Why does this keep happening? I'm hoping. Hold that, on. Hold okay. on. It froze. It froze up again on uh, rooster. You're supposed to give it a okay. rooster. So the legend is that if you make offerings to the Ovenik, it's either a rooster or blini, which are a Russian pancake. So he said when we come back this weekend, he wants to make an offering of pancakes to the thing to see if we can all see the thing again. Man. Okay. You, you said this is in Beckley? Yeah, it's the Deep End Antiques in Beckley. Deep End Antiques. Man, I'm going to take a road trip. Mm -hmm. It's a fun little place, and he's got a lot of cool stuff in there anyway. Like, he was going through and showing us all those knives I was talking about and all the weapons uh, that were things from, like, police auctions or military uh, military and stuff like that. So there's a lot of different things in there. Yeah. And it's fun. It's interesting because a lot of this stuff in there could, I guess, under certain circumstances, be contributing to the overall environment in the facility so it was a very crazy uh location from the onset and you're going this weekend yeah we're going to be there on saturday okay do you think you and Teresa can come back on here in a couple of weeks and let me know what what goes down absolutely you just uh, let us know yes 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 man i love it i did you, did you get this ovenick on any kind of camera I checked and checked and checked. Now, this time, I'm going to go in there, and we've got a full eight-camera DVR system. I'm going to try. But my main concern is the thing seems intelligent. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense that if it is intelligent to whatever degree, because he was even telling us, like, he remembers it from, like, when he was a little kid as being part of their family. And whatever, it has just, it just followed him over the years and he equates it to protecting his business God. and it's apparently intelligent enough to evade us the first time so i hope to get it i would really love to get it but i can't i i don't know yeah. and i don't even know if i were to catch it if i'd still believe it yeah well i believe it <laughs> yeah. i believe it but it's like at the same time it's like did I really just see that? Yes. Man. Okay. Yeah, I love it. I love it. This is, man, this rocked my world, man. Okay. I'm glad, I'm glad you liked it. Yeah. All right. Brian, I, uh, 
I've had you on here for an hour and a half. I, you'd I you'd be on here three hours. It wouldn't bother me one bit. <laughs> well, I would, but I got to get up from about no. 5.30 in the morning for work. No, you're good. Uh, all right, brother. Share with people where they can find SRI on social media. Okay. Uh, anything you want to plug. All righty. So we are, we are pretty active on social media. We have a Facebook page, which is Spectral Research and Investigation Huntington, West Virginia. If you look it up, you'll pop it up pretty easily. We have Instagram. We have a YouTube channel. We haven't really started building content yet, but that is on the uh, horizon. We also have a website, HTTP, uh, all that www.srihuntingtonwv.com. We keep that pretty well active and up to date. Uh, we've got a lot of different things just kind of floating out there. Um, but we are very active on that. If you want to get a hold of us, those are easy ways. We've got phone numbers, we've got emails and stuff like that. And one thing I will ask your listeners if anybody in the state of West Virginia or in the tri state area, Kentucky, um, West Virginia, Ohio, Tennessee, any of those areas within a short or like a radius. If they're interested in having investigative services, uh, give us a shout because that's one of the hardest things right now is trying to get locations kind of on the play. And that's the best thing we can do is if you get a hold of us, we can get back with you and maybe we can work out the logistics. We got a lot of things coming up and I look forward to sharing more of it. You'll be able to see all of it as we go on. We will also probably on uh, December 11th, we are going to be in Sutton back at the Heyman house. We are going to be doing a holiday banquet with the owner of the home, and we're going to be doing an investigation afterwards. Uh, we are going to be doing that live. So if you all want to follow us on there, we should be able to do that live stream throughout the night. We'll be on and off. Uh, so anybody wants to check us out is more welcome to do so. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. Yeah. I do a lot of work with Braxton County. Um, okay. Yeah. So that, that works out great, man. The Heyman house, December 11th live mm -hmm. event. Awesome. If you're up that way at that point, feel free to come and see us. Awesome. We'll do man. If I, if I can make it up there, I will. Okay. All right, Brian. Well, thank you very much for coming on and uh, I will shoot you a link to this as soon as it airs. Okay. As soon as I get it loaded up. Okay, sounds good. All right, brother. Have a good night. You too, buddy. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. Bye. All right, that's it for this week, guys. I hope you enjoyed listening to the show. If you just have to have more content, you can go to patreon.com slash the bump podcast and subscribe and be a patron. Uh, got more and more content on there every week. So I hope you enjoy that. Uh, to catch up on past episodes, go to thebumppodcast.com, click the episode tab, and it'll take you to any episode you want to listen to. Also, if you want to be on the show, I would love to have you on, share your story with us, go to thebumppodcast.com, click the holler at me button, and holler at me. Send me an email, thebumppodcast at gmail.com, and uh, I'll get you on as fast as we can. All right, again, thanks for listening. I love you guys. Until next time. Don't stop believing.